Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A lot to be happy about with Penn State beating Auburn in a whiteout. It's Big Ten versus SEC. Oh, it felt good. It was stressful, but it felt good. <laughs> so I'm really happy about the win. Oh, Pater! Pater! Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Paydirt Podcast. I'm Tom Hannafin. He is Matt McGloin. Penn State is 3-0 and oh, after beating number 22 Auburn at home in a whiteout at Beaver Stadium, 28-20. to A big-time victory for the Penn State Nittany Lions in this still very young 2021 season. So we are going to do a full breakdown of this victory against the SEC foe Auburn. We're going to get into what this means for the state of the program. And by that, not just what we're doing on the field, what Penn State is doing on the field, but also plenty of rumors last week regarding James Franklin and the head coach opening at USC. Have those rumors died down now because of this victory, or is that something still to be concerned about? We're going to look ahead a little bit to Villanova, and we are also going to shine some light on the new documentary that our boy Matt McGloin is featured in called Save the Roar. It's centered around the 2012 Penn State football team. We'll get into more on that in a moment. But right now, we are back and better than ever because all eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season with a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests. Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. The Pater Podcast is presented by Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So, Tom, I don't know if you've heard, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may be returning to professional basketball in Spain soon. Uh, wow. Apparently, he's going to try out for Paul Gasol's team. He's been taking a new product. He owes the credit to Balance 7. Balance 7 is a pH balancing alkaline supplement drink. It's like vitamins or supplements in liquid form. Just one ounce a day, three times a day. And in a week, you'll see the effects. And as you get older as an athlete, you need to find new ways to help yourself recover, whether that's more time in the weight room, more time in the training room, or there are products like Balance 7 that help. 
And you could see how Balance 7 has helped someone like him. And right now, if you go to balance7.com and use the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, you'll get $10 off their 32-ounce bottle. The bottle lasts 11 days, which is the perfect amount of time to feel the pH balancing drink go to work. Again, that's balance7.com and use the code BLEAV at checkout. I did. And if it worked for him, it could work for you too. So we have a lot to get into. What a win. There was definitely some stress involved, but I think that was something anticipated. Penn State, number 10, hosting number 22, Auburn. What an atmosphere that was at Beaver Stadium. I believe the attendance was 109,958. According to Mike Porman's Twitter, that was 10th best all time at Beaver Stadium. So a fantastic turnout by the Penn State fan base. Uh, One of those ones where you're like, I wish I could have been there. Watching that game, Matt, uh, you were actually in State College for some promotion for your documentary, as we talked about. But what was the vibe around town? Yeah, I mean, I got there uh, Friday morning. As you mentioned, I was there for the Saving the Roar documentary premiere that uh, was released Friday night. And I, I couldn't even get a parking spot downtown. Like, we, we, <laughs> we wanted to be able to walk up and down downtown and, you know, go in and out uh, some of the stores there, but uh, couldn't even find a spot. And I saw a lot of Auburn fans as well, which uh, which is fantastic. The support that, that Auburn fans have for their team and, and the way they travel is tremendous. So what a great atmosphere for college football. But yeah, that place was rocking. Starting Friday morning, Tom. I left early Saturday morning. Uh, I was thinking to myself, like, I, I got to get out of here before it gets extra crazy down here. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, you know me, man. I, I enjoy watching the game from my couch, you know, so I can I can take my notes. Right. You can see just, everything. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's just easier for me. But it, and it's different once you're done playing to be back in that atmosphere to watch a game and not have some type of control. Right. To just to sit there and enjoy it as a fan. That that's tough for me. Yeah. Oh no, I understand. And listen, I've attended plenty of whiteouts as a fan. I've been that guy that's painted up in the front row of the student section and <laughs> camped out in Nittanyville, once called Paternoville. I remember it all the way back then. And hanging out around the gates and waiting at five o'clock in the morning, hoping to get a good spot. So that is a whole type of atmosphere unto itself being in the student section. I always feel like the grumpy old man when you don't see the student section fill in well on certain games. They were out in force and they were there early. So that was a fantastic atmosphere. Of course, ESPN College Game Day was on the old main lawn. You had Adam Talaferro there on game day as well as at the stadium. That was so special. Saquon Barkley was the guest picker on College Game Day. And he was at Beaver Stadium for the game. Joey Porter Sr. I mean, if you're a recruit looking at this, like Penn State rolled out the red carpet. It looked absolutely fantastic. And that kind of brings me to my big question now in the wake of this victory for Penn State. They're 3-0, and one more game here in September, and then back into the Big Ten Conference schedule. What is the state of the Penn State program after this win? You mentioned that atmosphere and that environment, and you're right. And I felt leading up to it, that's what Penn State had made this out to be. That's what James Franklin had made this out to be was Big Ten versus the SEC. Penn State versus the SEC, Penn State versus Auburn. Here's what we can offer you. Take a look at this place. Look around. You see how special this is. Everybody talks about the SEC and how it's the greatest conference in all of football. And But we have something pretty good to offer you here at Penn State. I mean, not many places are like that on game day. It's very special. It's big for the conference, obviously, moving forward. 
It's not beating Alabama. It's not beating Florida. Okay, I get that. But Auburn's a very good football team. They've done a lot of good things in the past. They've done a lot of good things so far early in this season. They're going to win a lot of games this year. They are. And one of the things that I took away was that post-game interview Franklin did on the field. You know, the first thing he said, Tom, was that they're playing championship football right now. They've been playing championship football all year long. Okay. Slow down. (laughs) I'm with you. Right? You're not playing championship level teams yet. It's been three games. Wisconsin's fantastic, but they're not a championship. They're not a college football team yet. We saw that, and we now know that. I was talking about how Iowa was the team in the West even before the season started. Now, you go out to Kinnick on October 9th, and you you beat Iowa there. Now we're talking. I'll be impressed then. Auburn isn't a championship team, right? And you just snuck by them. So, look, Penn State is a very good football team right now. There's a lot of things they still need to fix. There's a long way to go. So, and that, again, and I know what we're going to touch on Villanova towards the end, but it's about you right now moving forward, right? Can you continue to fix some of the mistakes you're making? Can't make them again, right? And the, yeah. this week, this Villanova game is a good chance for you to really take a step back and say, okay, what do we now need to improve on? So that when we do play the Indianas and the Iowas, we're ready to go. We're not making those same mistakes again. And and you talked about playing championship caliber football. James Franklin talked about that. I had the opportunity to hop on the Blue White Illustrated post-game show live on YouTube last night. We were up till about 1230 in the morning, myself and Thomas Frank Carr. It was awesome. And there was just this vibe of positivity from everybody that was joining us on that conversation. But the one thing I did see repeatedly is Penn State fans are definitely looking down the track. And there are some people talking about, could this team go undefeated? Could this team wind up in the playoff? And the thing I do want to caution Penn State fans, and I've said this before on this show, is that I am the most cautiously optimistic fan that has ever lived. That's because I'm a Philadelphia sports fan, unfortunately. Um, But at the same time, Think about the battle uh, Alabama had with Florida on Saturday. Think about how good Georgia looks on defense, at least. That offense is still finding its legs, but that defense looks like an all-time great. Think about what Penn State still needs to figure out running the football on offense and stopping the run on defense. Those are things that Alabama and Georgia, they will eat your lunch if you don't have those figured out. And as much as Penn State fans, myself included, would love to see Penn State actually get into the playoff and not stub for Ohio State, that happened a handful of years ago. Think about what Notre Dame has run into in terms of getting into the college football playoff and getting smoked there's a very good chance if Penn State doesn't correct some of these things, that is going to come back to bite them if postseason play or even just a large bowl game or a Big Ten championship game comes up. Those are going to be recurring problems. That's my take. I'm not even thinking about the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Notre Dames or the college football players. Some Penn State fans are. And And that's insane. You have a good Indiana football team still to play. You have to play Iowa. You have to play Michigan. You have to play Ohio State. Michigan State is beating teams. Maryland has one of the more explosive offenses in the Big Ten. I had the opportunity to watch Maryland play live. They could score from anywhere on the field. Tayon Fleet Davis was running the ball well for Maryland. Rakim Jarrett uh, and Dante Davis Jr., you could argue that's the best one-two punch at the wide receiver spot in the Big Ten. And Talia Tungavailoa is starting to grow into his name. 
He's becoming a very, very good quarterback week in and week out. And they play Maryland later on in the year. So there's a lot of dangerous games on this Penn State schedule that they still have left to play, Tom. And the more you win, the bigger that target on your back becomes, right? That game for teams becomes more and more special. Hey, Penn State's 5-0. and They're 6-0. and This could change our year. This could change the outlook of our program. So... Look, let's not let's not put them in the Big Ten championship game yet. Let's not mm-hmm. pair them up against the Alabamas or the Georgias or the Oklahomas just yet, right? We're three weeks into the season. There's still a ton of work left to be done. Yeah. So let's talk about the game itself. Off the top, Sean Clifford had a fantastic game. 28 of 32, two touchdowns, an interception that you really don't lose sleep over because he got drilled in the process of throwing it, and it basically wound up being a punt for Penn State. So it was not a detrimental turnover. Sean also chipped in with six carries for 16 yards. Noah Kane, 19 carries for 45 yards. You'd love to see the average a little higher, but he scored a touchdown. Jahan Dotson was otherworldly, 10 receptions for 78 yards and a touchdown. The tight ends getting heavily involved. Parker Washington with eight catches on his own. Keandre Lambert-Smith, four catches for 27 yards. 302 total yards through the air because, oh, by the way, Jahan Dotson threw a pass as well. (laughs) So he was returning kicks. He was catching passes. He was throwing passes. The Penn State offense looked fantastic. The run game is still a question. I want to start with you with Clifford. What do you make of this game? Yeah, he's much more in control than he's been. He's playing quarterback now, right? And you can see how much of an impact Mike Yurchich has has had on his career so far in just a short time, right? He's running this offense the way it needs to be run. And at times, Sean Clifford's play and the play of this offense really jumps out off the screen at you. You know, I thought the running backs, and I know they didn't run for a ton of yardage, but I thought they were much more downhill than they've been. I thought they ran hard. And you just talked about it. They did a fantastic job of utilizing those tight ends. You have to incorporate the tight end position into your offense and into your offensive game plan. And they had some big explosive plays and they brought pressure. One play. What does Sean Clifford do? Boom. Dumps it over the pressure to strange for a big explosive play. And that's what I was talking about last week leading up to this game. You have to have a plan for pressure. And he did right. You got to gash him in those situations. And they did that. And that's what I'm talking about. And it wasn't even, he, he was just reacting. Right, took the snap, saw the pressure, boom, there's a completion for a big play. And it seems like it's just simple, like it's just a little quick hitter play, but it's not. Like he knew exactly what he was looking for. He knew exactly what he had to do in that offense, you know, where his answer was versus that. Like that's that's playing quarterback, Tom. That's understanding the offense. That's, that's executing the game plan. That's knowing what Mike Yurchich wants out of you. Here's the thing about this offense, though. And, and uh, three weeks now, I think we're really starting to realize, you know, again, w- what they need to work on, where their problems are. If they struggle on first down and they can't be successful, they're not. They're, th- this offense isn't built to live in second and long, third and eight plus. They have to stay ahead of the sticks. They have to be positive on first down. You know, a few times I wanted them to go back to that deep cross game mm. that they gashed Auburn on twice. I wanted to go back to that concept. They hit Strange on one. They hit Dotson on another. You know, you mentioned the run game. I think there was enough of a run threat there for Auburn to respect it. You know, I, I really did. And again, utilizing those tight ends helped Dotson be able to create on the outside. And 
you know, I know we're talking a lot about the good, but there, there certainly was some bad time in that game, especially offensively. What is it going to take to get the running game figured out? Because as you watch the game, I don't necessarily believe it's the guys carrying the ball. It feels like struggles within the interior of the offensive line. What did you see? Yeah, they, they got beat up at the point of attack uh, a few times. You know, I, again, I mentioned that these guys were more downhill than they've been. And it seems like this coaching staff, you know, place a little bit of emphasis on that throughout the course of the week. I, I mean, just because they've, they ran the ball differently that they have, like there was no trying to find holes or trying to create or bouncing left, right, then getting north, south. I mean, these guys were just hitting the hole hard. They didn't dance, right? They didn't try to create. They just trusted what they saw and they went forward, right? They made the decision and they went. Um, I thought it was an awesome, ch- awesome change up to get John Lovett in there. Yes. I thought he made I thought he made a few nice plays for Penn State, you know. And again, just to be able to create that depth there at uh, at the running back spot is huge. Now, I mentioned some of the bad things, right? The game management and the situational football decisions—they're still atrocious. Yeah, a couple right? fourth and shorts that I I understand the reasoning, and I believe one was converted, but it felt like the Penn State game management decisions of 2020 and 2019 kind of reared its ugly head. We hadn't seen that in weeks one and two. That concerned me. They were over two on fourth down, right? And thank you. So yeah, what it was, was it a poor spot? Okay, maybe. But oh yeah, I'll the must have thing. There. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get to the refs. Oh my God. I'll get there. <laughs> I'll get to that in a few seconds with that decision to, you know, fake the punt. Okay, great. First off, and I have to, I have to start here. Like we, we have to mention this. You punted the ball on third down, so that's on the refs. I mean, if Franklin was screaming his head off, I, I would have ran out into the field. I would have stopped play to get that corrected. How does that happen in a prime time game? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people were like, "Oh my gosh, it's an SEC crew. The fix is in," and it didn't seem like the fix was in. They just seemed like a bad group of referees because they had trouble all night long, whether it was Auburn or Penn State, a lot of them obviously going against the home team. It was really atrocious. Yeah, I mentioned situational football as well, Tom. You know, you mentioned Clifford's interception earlier. You have to understand where you are in the field there. What do they need? 20 yards for three points right before the half? They have to be in his ear. Hey, man, listen, be careful with the football. We have two timeouts. Right. So if you take a sack or you have to scramble and run for a yard, that's okay because we still have timeouts left. We want to get three points here, right? You can't just chuck up a 50 50 ball in a situation like that. You need to come away with points. That's a lack of communication between Sean Clifford, James Franklin, Mike Yurchich in that situation, not letting your quarterback know what he has to do and understand where you're at in the game there and what that situation is. And I mean, the fourth down, man. The first drive of the game, they try to quarterback sneak it, right? That's that's a lot. Again, it, it felt like the old offense of like, oh, let's try and run it with the dude who can run maybe a 4-6 or a 4-7 in Sean Clifford. And it's like, no, Sean Clifford needs to do what he did. Granted, competition's different against Ball State. If there's seven or eight yards, go ahead and take it. But yes. no, stop with these design runs. That's a good Auburn defense. They are fast. They're physical. They're violent. That, that was a long yard, too. And... Mm-hmm. You you, yeah. you you just you just touched on it. There's there's a certain way to run and execute a quarterback sneak, right? You don't just call it. I've always hated that. Hey man, get in there and run a quarterback sneak, dude. What if I don't have it? What if it's not there? Like, what if I can't sneak it for a yard and a half or two yards? Right? Give me an option. 
call a pass, call a run. And if I have an open A gap or if I have a nose shaded left or right and I can sneak, you know, opposite him for it, then I'll sneak it. But if it's not there, it's not there. I did that all the time as a quarterback, Tom. Like I, I was, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I was pretty successful in, in the quarterback sneak game, right? And that's because of the way I was taught from Bill O'Brien. Going back to 2012, I converted every single one of my quarterback sneaks except for one. Guess what that one was? It was a design call against Iowa at Iowa, right? You can't, like, if it's not there, it's not there. Don't mm -hmm. just try to do it just to try to do it because that's what happens. You don't get it. I want to go back to something that you touched on, the tight ends. What did you think about the wrinkle utilizing the tight ends far more than we've seen this season in terms of actually being weapons in the offense as opposed to we saw a lot of three tight end formations yeah. to start the season, but not a lot of them really making meaningful plays. Strange Warren out of the <laughs> Wildcat, the Wild Lion, whatever you want to call it. That was great. It, was that awesome. was great. Yeah. What did you make of it? Well, aside from them trying to throw a pass with him later in the game. Uh, that I didn't love. Yeah, yeah right? I mean, get second down. Uh, I get it. Auburn, but... Auburn smart. They were like, okay, you fooled us once. You're not going to Exactly. Yeah. But then what happened was what you lose yardage. And now you're third and goal from the four. I mean, they're fortunate. Auburn blew a defensive assignment there. And Noah Kane was able to score on that third down. But look, I, I love the way they use the tight ends there. That's what we, we were talking about throughout training camp, Tom. is like, who can be that third guy? Who can be that fourth guy behind Dotson and, and behind Parker Washington? Was it going to be Lambert Smith? Was it going to be Strange or Johnson or, or this tight end group? And I think we saw that it can be. Right, Go back to those two uh, tight end sets. Get three tight ends in the game at times, man. When you have talent like that, like they're not your normal tight ends where you know, they could just run stationary routes or crossing routes or quick game or things like that. I mean, these guys, could, these guys can run. They can get downfield, man. They, they can get vertical for you and they can create big plays for you. I love that. As a quarterback, I always love using the tight ends. I think they create just... Brutal matchups for defenses, especially on the inside versus linebackers and versus safeties, man. If, and if you have two guys like they have, they can create nightmares for some defenses, man. And, and again, it can really open up John Dotson on the outside and, and Parker Washington on the inside or the outside. It did. Yeah. It absolutely did. You got three freaks, as I lovingly refer to them as. <laughs> uh, six foot five, 250 pounds or bigger. Hell, Theo Johnson runs a four, five, 140. Yeah. There were plenty of opportunities. Strange looked really good. He had that opportunity in the second half where he was the tackle eligible in what was a five, quote, lineman set, but he was the left tackle. Really confused the Auburn defense. The offensive line shifts left behind him. He goes right up the seam, and uh, Sean Clifford's able to find him. So there were some nice additions to the offense, some variety, some diversity from Mike Yersich that we'd not necessarily seen in the first two weeks, and maybe you might not see a lot of for a couple of weeks, we'll see. Is this something that your is like, hey, let's put it on tape. Let's shelf it for a handful of weeks. We'll pull it out when we need it. So we're going to dive more into Auburn here. But right now, I've got some exciting news because our podcast is partnering with PlayActionPools.com this season to bring some interactive fun to the sport we love most. You'll be able to get in on the action with our PlayActionPools.com Football Pick'em Challenge, which is open to everyone. Here's how it works. Sign up for our contest, Believe Football Pick'em. 
at playactionpools.com and then get your picks in each week. We're going to select the 10 highest profile games of the week between the NFL and college football. Whoever gets the most picks correct each week will win a pair of electric sunglasses and a pair of DC shoes. Again, go to playactionpools.com and sign up for the contest Believe, B-L-E-A-V, Football Pick'em. And if you plan on hosting your own football contest, go to playactionpools.com today. They've got Survivor Pick'em as well as cool sportsbook style concepts called Build Your Bankroll. Got to check that out. Playactionpools.com, your new home for all your office sports pools. And of course, all of us involved in the Patriot Podcast are proud supporters of THON, also known as the Penn State Dance Marathon. THON is a year-long effort dedicated to raising funds and awareness for its sole beneficiary, Four Diamonds at Penn State Health Children's Hospital. THON is the largest student-run philanthropy in the world, committed to enhancing the lives of children and families impacted by childhood cancer. Four Diamonds picks up where insurance leaves off to relieve financial stress and provide emotional support so that no family ever has to see a medical bill. Since 1973, THON has raised over $190 million in the fight against childhood cancer. And we invite you to join this fantastic community of Penn State students, alumni, and friends at the annual THON 5K, powered by PNC. The event takes place on Sunday, October 10th. This year's theme for the event will be Illuminate the Journey, with both in-person and virtual races taking place. Last year, during the virtual THON 5K, powered by PNC, THON volunteers and supporters from across the country collectively ran over 57 thousand miles in the fight against childhood cancer to learn more about thon the 5k event or to donate visit thon.org that's t-h-o-n dot o-r-g it's all for the kids make a difference in the life of a child today all right so we touched a lot on the penn state offense uh if there's any other points that we're uh, we're missing we kind of talked about the referees and like that just got completely out of hand there was the flop on the sideline with <laughs> Bo Nix, the Kirk Herbstreit point out. Granted, Brandon Smith never should have touched. I would have flopped too. Were, I would have flopped too, man. Yeah, oh hey, yeah. If it's close, yeah. if that's a thing, Tom. If it's close, the the quarterback is going to get that call, right? This game, mm-hmm. and I played quarterback. Like I get it. This game is built around protecting the quarterback. Mm-hmm. He's going out of bounds, dude. Just get away. Yeah. Get away. Yeah, that's e- that's easy that's, money for. That's Bo an experience. That's an experienced player in Bo Nix. It's a great job by him. It really was. So let's talk about Bo Nix. A lot was made of him coming into this game. There are some people who are like, oh, he might be a dark horse for the Heisman. Personally, I called him Jekyll and Hyde last week on this show because that's kind of what he's been the first two games. And frankly, through the 27 starts he'd had before coming into the whiteout game against Penn State. Penn State held him to 21 of 37, 185 yards passing, uh, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He did carry the ball six times for 29 yards. What did you think? Because I didn't. This isn't so much about Bo Nix. It's more the performance of the Penn yes, State defense. Yes. Because Bo Nix didn't necessarily lose the game for Auburn, but the Penn State defense. There were some issues in the secondary in terms of playing your assignment correctly. There appeared to be some communication issues that the broadcasters pointed out, which actually has been pretty sharp the last few weeks. So when you were watching this, what did you think of? the defensive performance for the Nittany Lions. Well, just have to mention Bo Nix because I was actually pretty impressed with the way he played. I was like, he gave his team a chance to win the football game. And as a quarterback, that's your job, right? I mean, not turning the football over left and right, not putting it in harm's way. You're right. The secondary, there there wasn't much there. 
right? That can be very frustrating. Like as a quarterback, you start to try to force the issue a little bit here. Like I'm not getting any big plays in the past game. I got to start throwing the football downfield. I have to do something. I don't think he did that a ton. Like he definitely took some chances downfield, which you're going to do, but I don't think he forced the issue. I thought he was calm, man. For four quarters. We talked about that, Tom. This is an experienced guy. I, I didn't think uh, he wasn't going to have that much of an issue with the crowd as some other quarterbacks would have, right? I mean, he managed that offense. He moved the ball well at times. I thought he played a real solid game. Again, they're going to win a lot of games moving forward. He, he's going to play well the rest of the year. Yeah. He really, really is. But that that secondary, they did a fantastic job of not breaking, not allowing that big play that can change momentum or that can silence that crowd, right? But mm -hmm. the best part of the defense was not letting Auburn have that big run play, right? They really tried to hammer the run against Penn State and break them, but they couldn't, right? They limited Tank Bigsby. They limited Hunter. And that was, again, that was our big factor of the game. If they were able to run it well, I, I think it would have been a longer night for Penn State. And who knows if they would have won that game, but... They just, man, and that's 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 so frustrating for a running back where you're getting six, seven, eight yards here and there, but you're just getting swarmed, right? You can't you can't break yeah. free. Well, listen, Bigsby, twenty three carries for one hundred and two yards and two touchdowns. Jarquez Hunter, nine carries for sixty three yards. We talked about what Bo Nix was able to contribute. It was something I talked about last week on the show. If Penn State was able to get a lead in the second half and make Bo Nix throw the ball, not that Bo Nix was terribly detrimental to the Tigers. It was just, hey, they have to get away from the running game if they want to make up yep. the, the disadvantage here. Then Auburn was going to be in trouble. That is exactly what happened. I'm going to pat myself on the back. But this running game actually still looked pretty good. The same concerns that Penn State had with Wisconsin were apparent here. And credit to Brian Harson and company that the second quarter, they were trying to throw the ball. They were trying to push the advantage when they were out in front just for a moment. Then the third quarter, they really got back to it. And they had a touchdown drive with Tank Bigsby where yeah. he had eight carries, 38 yards, 59 yards rushing total for Auburn on the drive. They hammered Penn State. And then again, they got away from it because they had to. The concern in talking on the Blue White Illustrated postgame show is that Penn State fans were like, why is this always a worry late into the fourth quarter? Uh, and always, granted, it's been three weeks, but, you know, the Wisconsin game was tight. This was down to the last drive, and Bo Nix has had theatrics uh, in the past for Auburn and winning last-minute games. So you weren't totally comfortable as seconds ticked off the clock. So is this just going to be consistent for Penn State for the rest of the year? Are these games going to be tight, or should Penn State fans be pining for blowouts? Well, I think in the first... You know, three weeks of the season, you face two teams whose identity is run the ball, put pressure on you defensively, put pressure on your front seven and know that we're going to try to break you in the run game, right? We're going to continue to run, continue to run. We're not just going to abandon the run if we're getting two or three or four yards here or there, right? This is what we do. We keep running it. And with backs like Auburn has, they have to, right? I mean, they need that run game to complement Bo Nix in the pass game. Bo Nix can only be successful if they're able to run the football. And that's the same thing with Wisconsin as well. I mean, they're a run-heavy team. They're going to see it again when they play Iowa. And, and, and Tyler Goodson, who's one of the better backs in the Big Ten. You know, so, I mean, it's not going anywhere. They did a great job, I thought, getting a few tackles for losses here. You know, and, and as much as there, there are some concerns, again, in the run game, I get it. But, you know, they're still struggling to get after the quarterback, Tom. Zero sacks, right? Uh, there's five hurries. Epic had three of them, but 
you have to be a threat in the pass game, right? The pass rush needs to start hitting home. I thought, yeah, but there's times where Bonex had such a clean pocket. So that, that needs that you need to make some changes there moving forward. Yeah, the pressure there was not great. We saw Ebiketti really go off against Wisconsin, but he's been quiet since. Mustafer and Tangelo, not terribly disruptive overall. Again, the running game, um, Auburn able to put up 182 yards on the ground, which is pretty nice, and he gave up a pretty substantial amount, I don't remember exactly, to Wisconsin as well. So you're absolutely correct. Ohio State, Iowa, Michigan runs the hell out of the ball very, very well, by Michigan the way. State. So that's going to be something. Kenneth, Kenneth, mm-hmm. Walk, yeah. Kenneth Walker is dominating in the run game yeah. at Michigan State. So it's, it's, it's not this, this issue yeah. isn't going anywhere. And, and I don't want to say this is doom and gloom or anything for Penn State. They looked very good against a quality opponent uh, on Saturday night. I was really impressed by Jair Brown is developing before our eyes. A bit of an up and down night for Castro Fields and Joey Porter Jr. They had their bright spots. They had their flaws. Jaquan Brisker continues to be outstanding. Yeah, He is a professional workman approach to playing the game of football. He's calm, he's poised, he's damn near emotionless. What did you think of Brisker's performance? You just said it perfectly right there. I mean, he just has this this presence on the field. This, you know what I mean? This confident leader, this guy that knows he's going to make plays and he's going to dominate the football game. And look, I, I thought the secondary did a really good job too. Again, I know that Tree Castro Fields, Joey Porter Jr., they were tested, man. They were. And I thought they responded. I thought they did a great job. These linebackers, they showed up, man. Brandon Smith, Jesse Lucetta, Ellis Brooks. I thought they were all over the field, you know, Saturday night. Yeah, the defense is good. And I know it sounds like it, we're picking on them at times, Tom. It's nitpicking, but exactly. Really. For them to be elite, I'm going to use that word, right? These are the, the details. These are the small things that need to be cleaned up. You want to play championship football? You want to play championship style football? Then fix these things. Mm-hmm. And Sean Clifford uh, has fielded a lot of that criticism, and he's responded. My concern considering, okay, can Penn State stop the run, and can they run the ball? So how much does that get put on Sean Clifford as the season continues? 32 passes feels great for him. That's a really nice range in terms of attempts. You see a lot of guys when it gets into 35, 40, 45, 50 attempts. Typically, the game has gotten completely out of hand, and there's something where it's a desperation passing attack. Do you think Sean should be carrying a bigger workload if the rushing game doesn't develop for the offense? I don't think so. Look, I mean, I think, again, this is just a... You played two great defenses in the first three weeks of the season, right? This stuff takes time, right? It it takes time to kind of figure out what the best routine is for your running backs, right? Well, what are the best packages for these guys, right? How do we use them in certain situations and certain downs? I think they're doing a better job of that. Again, I thought it was great to bring Lovett in the game and try to change it up that way. But it's not, look, the run game isn't on Sean Clifford. That's not his job. It's on the offensive line. It's on the running backs. It's on Mike Yurchich. Clifford, yeah, he needs to continue to what he's been doing. It's fine. Everything else around him will start to come together if he continues to play the way that he's been playing. A lot to be happy about with Penn State. Beating Auburn in a whiteout. It's Big Ten versus SEC. Oh, it felt good. It was stressful, but it felt good. <laughs> so I'm really happy about the win. So Penn State improves to 3-0. and I do want to look backwards a little bit because obviously we released this podcast on, on Monday mornings. Middle of last week, the familiar rumors surrounding James Franklin and the USC head coaching position 
cropped up again. Clay Helton, the former head coach of USC, was fired. And hats off to USC. They rebounded in a big way against Washington State on Saturday. The young quarterback, Jackson Dart, so much has been made of him. The greatest quarterback name maybe I've ever <laughs> heard. Um, he had a phenomenal game. USC looks like they're heading in a good direction. But still questions is who's going to be the head coach for the Trojans. So does this win against Auburn and then USC's progression on Saturday kind of put to bed any James Franklin to USC talk? I don't think so. I think it increases it, if anything. Hmm. You know, you have this high-profile guy, James Franklin, who clearly has an ability to recruit fantastic players. You know, and like his name has been attached to that job for years now, right? It's it's not going to go away. If they keep winning games, I just think it's going to be more and more of James Franklin possibly to USC, James Franklin possibly to USC. If they go, like if they win out, you know what I mean? When the Big Ten Championship go to the college football playoff, then it's probably, that's probably not going to happen. But, right, if they continue to win big games and, you know, they go nine and three, 10 and two, something like that, I could see him taking that job. I really could just because of what he can do in that market. Like you don't have to leave California to recruit anybody, right? You, you could mm-hmm. just dominate that state, right? USC shouldn't lose a player to UCLA. They shouldn't lose a player to Cal. They shouldn't lose a player to Stanford. Similar to Texas. You don't have to leave the state to recruit top-tier talent. And now with the NIL, you know, I mean, Southern California, it's just, I mean, it's a very, very attractive job for anyone. It has to be very attractive, a uh, very attractive job to James Franklin. And I know there's a few other guys that, you know, are, are in consideration. Guys like PJ Fleck, Luke Fickle. So... You know, and then some of these guys are, are having their names thrown, you know, thrown out there as well, just to try to get more money from their current universities and try to right. re- restructure their contracts as well. So, I mean, it's fun. It's fun to talk about. It really, really is. But I, I think come November or so, Tom, we'll have a much better idea of if it's going to be him or if it's going to be somebody else. Yeah, personally, I don't see this talk going away. No, it's not going to. Yeah, this victory. It helps yeah. kind of hush those rumors. Um, so uh, without uh, living in that too much, let's talk about next week. Penn State plays Villanova. I believe it is a noon kick. This is going to be a nice valley, in happy valley on in the football schedule. So you've had Wisconsin, you've had Ball State, you've had Auburn in a whiteout, and now it's Villanova. And again, no disrespect to the Wildcats. This is an FCS opponent, a ranked FCS opponent, by the way, who just beat another ranked FCS opponent in Richmond on Saturday. In fact, came from behind at one point in the second half. Villanova had given up 27 points unanswered and then came all the way back to win the game. They are currently undefeated. They're 1-0 in the CAA. It just feels like, again, no disrespect to the Wildcats, Matt. This is just, there's a big gap in talent, and Penn State should win this one easily. Personally, I wouldn't hate if Sean Clifford, who was banged up a little bit against Auburn, Jaquan Brisker, who's been banged up for parts of the season, if you didn't see a ton of these two guys especially, and anybody else that's got an injury, again, no disrespect to FCS on Villanova, but... Is this the week to maybe tell Clifford, hey, just chill a little bit? Well, if you get up big enough, right? I mean, that's that's what you look for in games like this, right? Can we get out to an early lead? Can we put a lot of points on the board early? So, you know, midway through the third quarter, whatever it may be, we can get you out. 
and get some other guys in there, let them play a little bit, get them some more experience. So just in case, once we get into the heart and, and deep into Big Ten play, if we need those guys, right, it's not new to them. They've got some game experience. Um, you're right. This Look, this isn't about Villanova at all this week. This is all about Penn State. And how do you continue to improve? How do you fix the mistakes you've made throughout the first three weeks of the season? And a lot of it, too, I think is self-evaluation this week, right? Self-scout. What do we need to do better defensively? What do we need to do better on special teams? What do we need to do better offensively? This game falls at a perfect time for them, right? Right before Indiana, right before Iowa, to be able just to fine-tune some things that they haven't been doing well. You can't fall asleep at Penn State. You have to keep your foot on the gas. You certainly don't take any team lightly. The goal and the idea is to go out there and dominate. You know, so I fully expect them to do that. But what I want to see, and I don't care what Villanova does, what I want to see is just a nice, clean, mistake-free performance from Penn State in all aspects of the game. Villanova averages 212 yards on the ground, so we do expect that to be this, that'll um, be a good test. That'll be a good offense. test. Yeah, yeah. No, it'll be it'll be very good. Uh, Justin Covington, number one, is their lead back, 307 yards on the season. He looked good against uh, Richmond this past week. They have some playmakers who can uh, run the ball, and then their quarterback Daniel Smith, a little bit undersized, 64 percent completion percentage on the year. He's averaging just a tick under 200 yards passing per game. So you kind of see the way this could go. Penn State just having far superior athletes, this could be a situation where he's forced to throw the ball a ton. He is mobile. He was able to score uh, against Richmond with his legs and really hurt the Spiders in that way. Uh, He has eight passing touchdowns, two interceptions, so largely pretty good uh, with controlling the football. They do have some guys on defense in terms of uh, Villanova. Ryan Forrest has 13 tackles. Meanwhile, uh, Christian Benford, defensive back, has four interceptions and three pass breakups already through three games so a ball hawking defensive back that's just something Clifford's going to have to be aware of and for Mike Yursich do you expect to see a really basic form of the offense or for instance those wrinkles with the tight end do you expect to see those at all against the Wildcats? Yeah, I hope so right continue to let those guys develop right try new things with them this is the perfect time to do that but at the same time I don't think right you alter the way you prepare too much Villanova right now is talking about how great it would be to go into Beaver Stadium and to beat Penn State, right? Like it's it's somewhere to kind of ball state, right? This is their Super Bowl, you know? So those kids are going to play, man. They're going to do everything they possibly can to try to stop Penn State and to try to win the game, to try to create turnovers, score touchdowns. So the way you prepare never changes. You try some new stuff in a week like this. Yes, absolutely. But don't vary from the things that have been working for you from the, from, Know, the past three weeks of the season but again yeah i hope again going back to the tight ends as you mentioned i hope that's a huge part of this offense moving forward not just this week yeah no it, it looked really good so as i mentioned uh, villanova is a noon kick this saturday the 25th uh, looking ahead a little bit at the schedule what i've been referring to as the penn state revenge tour begins versus indiana on october 2nd mm-hmm. hopefully penn state able to redeem themselves for the michael Penix stretch I can go on and on about that, and I will next week. I'm very excited about that. Then, the four most dangerous words, in my opinion, in the Big Ten, at Kinnick at night. Uh, That is October 9th, and a very good chance that Iowa, who, just like Penn State, probably will be a top-five undefeated team by that point, wouldn't be shocked if game day rolled up. Yeah, That will be a very challenging environment. 
Then you get home versus Illinois on October 23rd. You round out October at Ohio State. Ohio State struggled, I believe. Was it against Tulsa on Saturday? Yeah. I'm, I'm blanking on who the opponent was, but it was, it was, it's not the same Ohio State that we've seen, but you still have to respect what the Buckeyes are capable of. Then you go at Maryland. I talk about revenge. Talia Tagovailoa and the Terrapins really shellacked Penn State last year in a game where I remember watching. I'm like, what in the world is mm-hmm. going on? So hopefully Penn State's organized for that. Then uh, November 13th, home versus Michigan. Could we see a second whiteout? We'll see how Michigan's doing. They look to be off to a decent start. Home against Rutgers on November 20th, and then at Michigan State on November 27th to end the regular season. Mel Tucker is Sparty looking all right. So there's going to be some challenges, some road bumps as this Big Ten schedule continues. What do you think? A lot of great games, right? We talked a little bit about that through through today's show, right? There, there's There's no easy game in Big Ten play. Again, the more you win, the more teams want to beat you. The Maryland's, the Michigan State's, right? They're the Indiana's, man. Like these student athletes, these coaches, these programs, right? They're they're not comfortable being in the middle to the lower pack of the Big Ten. Nobody wants to. Indiana played Cincinnati tough on Saturday. Nobody wants to live there, right? They they don't want to be considered, you know, hey, we're going to beat this team. We're going to roll over this team and move on. Nobody wants to be that game. And those teams aren't this year. They're just not, right? The Big Ten is strong, man. This schedule is not easy for Penn State. A lot of competition, which is good because you're hoping once you get towards the end of the season that the playoff committee will look at that favorably. But first things first. Um, I do want to take a moment here as we're wrapping up to congratulate you and your fellow uh, 2012 mates. There's a great documentary that just premiered, I believe, Friday night in State College, Pennsylvania. You were on hand for it. It's called Saving the Roar. Where can people see it? And if you want to tell us a little bit about it, that would be great. Yeah, so you can watch it at savingtheroar.in.live right now. Uh, I think they're still working and trying to, uh, you know, find companies or... Netflix, you know, stuff like that. They're still in talks with a lot of those people to try to maybe put it on that platform or, or different platforms one day. But right now, it's on savingtheroar.in.live. That's where you can watch it. And it talks about the 2012 team. It talks about that journey that we went to. It's, it's very emotional. It really is. The director, Michael Nash, uh, who's a critically acclaimed documentarian, he, he did really a great job of letting us tell our story about a team that rallied, about a group of guys overcoming all different types of adversity, how you had the right group of guys there. At the time, you had the right strength and conditioning coach in Craig Fitzgerald. You had the right head coach in Bill O'Brien and how the support from Penn State fans really helped us along the way, We were how we were able to use that as motivation day in and day out. So it's a fantastic film. I'm not just saying that because it's about our team, but it's special and it's not just for football players. I think it's for everyone that, that you know just shows you how easy quitting is and how hard it is to stay and fight for something you believe in. But at the end, you know that it's worth it. I can't wait to see it. Uh, And I highly recommend all of you uh, go take a look at it. So thank you all for joining us. We will be back next week following the Villanova game and looking forward to the revenge tour. (laughs) I can't wait. For Matt McGloin, I'm Tom Hannafin. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on Pater. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, 
They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.